Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. It's like he was just putting the pieces together for me in such a way that just was simple but powerful. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is God's truth right here. It wasn't always what I, what I wanted to hear, but I knew it was the truth, and I always wanted the truth. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Thursday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today, I'm continuing to teach on how to prepare your heart. This is my fourth day of this teaching. I'll also be going into next week. And we've decided to put together a package deal because I've been talking about uh, these characters. I've mentioned this, but I've talked about David. I'm going to be talking about David some more today. I've also got a book entitled Lessons from Elijah. And as I was saying on our Monday's broadcast, I have learned a lot of things at other people's expense. I have learned so much through Elijah and through David and all of these people that I don't have to go make the same mistakes. And that's exactly what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 through 11 is saying. All of these things happen for our example so that we could learn through them. So we're going to have a package deal and uh, also offer these two books along with this teaching on how to prepare your heart. Let me turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and I want to share with you about David's downfall. And I've been talking about how to prepare your heart. I hadn't got time to go back through all of this, but the word prepare means that you do it in advance. And we've been basing this on a scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14, that says, He, Rehoboam, did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. And I've been sharing that prepare means you do it in advance. And that same Hebrew word, K-U-W-N, was also translated fixed in Psalms chapter 57, verse 7, and it was translated set in Psalms chapter 78, verse 8. And so the word prepare means to set, to fix, to establish your heart. You can predetermine what you will do in a certain situation. But one of the things I want to point out before I move on is to say that this is not something that is just done one time and it lasts forever. It's a process. It's a continual process. You can build up momentum. You know, it's like uh, when you uh, take off in a car or something like that. You just can't take off at 100 miles an hour. If you do, if you go from zero to 100, that's not acceleration. That's a wreck. It'll kill you. Amen. You start off slow and you build up speed. And it's the same thing. You start off preparing your heart, setting your heart, fixing your heart, saying, this is who I am. This is what I will do. This is how God wants me to live. And you start in that direction, but you build up momentum. And did you know that if you are just starting, you could put a pebble nearly in front of some wheel if it's just barely rolling and that pebble will be something that, you know, you have to bump over. And if it's a big enough little rock or pebble, it could actually impede the pro uh, progress. But you get something that's going at 100 miles an hour and you put a pebble or a rock in front of it and it might cause some kind of a, uh, you know, it might jar that vehicle or something, but I guarantee you it's not going to stop it. You could put a brick wall in front of a car that's uh, going 100 miles an hour, and it may cause a crash, but it will go through that wall. A brick wall won't stop a car that's going 100 miles an hour. So my point is that you can start setting your heart 
AND AS YOU FOLLOW THROUGH WITH THIS, YOU BUILD UP MOMENTUM, AND YOU GET TO WHERE YOU CAN JUST OVERCOME A LOT OF THINGS. BUT IF YOU ARE JUST GETTING STARTED, IF IT'S SOMETHING THAT HAS NOT BEEN ESTABLISHED IN YOUR LIFE, THE SLIGHTEST LITTLE PROBLEM IN YOUR WAY WILL DERAIL YOU OR STOP YOU. BUT ONCE YOU BUILD UP MOMENTUM, I GUARANTEE YOU, it's YOU JUST CAN'T TURN AROUND. YOU CAN'T STOP ON A DIME. IT TAKES A PERIOD OF TIME. BUT it's, a, IT'S SOMETHING THAT NOT ONLY HAS TO BUILD UP MOMENTUM, BUT YOU'VE GOT TO MAINTAIN THAT MOMENTUM. YOU CAN'T EVER JUST TURN OFF THE ENGINE AND QUIT PREPARING YOUR HEART. THIS IS WHAT HAPPENED WITH DAVID. AND MOST PEOPLE ARE FAMILIAR THAT DAVID STARTED OUT SO GOOD. I'VE SPENT A COUPLE OF DAYS THIS WEEK TALKING ABOUT PSALMS CHAPTER 57, VERSE 7. HE SET HIS HEART. HE FIXED HIS HEART TO SING AND GIVE PRAISE TO GOD. AND BECAUSE OF IT, he j- HIS HEART SMOTE HIM, AND HE COULD NOT DO ANY DISRESPECT TO SAUL, EVEN THOUGH SAUL WAS TRYING TO KILL HIM. BUT HE QUIT PREPARING HIS HEART. AND IT'S SOMETHING THAT YOU CAN'T JUST... YOU CAN'T JUST COAST. YOU KNOW, IT'S LIKE... IT'S LIKE FLYING IN A PLANE. YOU'VE GOT GRAVITY PULLING ON THAT PLANE CONSTANTLY. AND IF YOU TURN OFF THE MOTOR, THE MOMENT YOU TURN OFF THAT POWER AND YOU START APPLYING... YOU QUIT APPLYING THAT LAW OF THRUST AND LIFT, THE MOMENT YOU DO THAT, YOU START SINKING. NOW, IT MAY NOT BE THAT YOU CRASH THE SECOND YOU TURN IT OFF, BUT THE MOMENT YOU TURN OFF THAT POWER, THAT PLANE STARTS LOSING ALTITUDE. AND IF YOU CONTINUE TO DO IT OVER A PROLONGED PERIOD OF TIME, YOU WILL EVENTUALLY CRASH AND BURN. YOU CAN'T JUST... YOU CAN'T GO OFF OF THE FACT THAT YOU MIGHT BE FLYING AT 35,000 FEET AND GOING five OR 600 MILES AN HOUR, BUT YOU CAN'T JUST... YOU CAN'T STOP DOING THAT. YOU HAVE TO KEEP APPLYING THAT SAME FORCE IN ORDER TO REACH YOUR DESTINATION. IF YOU TURN OFF THOSE MOTORS, YOU ARE GOING TO SINK. AND IT'S THE SAME THING WITH PREPARING YOUR HEART. YOU BUILD UP MOMENTUM, AND YOU CAN REACH A PLACE TO WHERE YOU ARE FUNCTIONING AT A HIGH LEVEL, AND BECAUSE OF IT, YOU JUST CAN'T TURN AWAY FROM THE LORD RIGHT NOW. BUT IF YOU QUIT SEEKING THE LORD, IF YOU QUIT PREPARING YOUR HEART TO SEEK THE LORD, YOU BEGIN A DOWNWARD SPIRAL, AND IT MAY TAKE A PERIOD OF TIME, BUT EVENTUALLY YOU WILL CRASH AND BURN. THIS IS WHAT HAPPENED TO DAVID. DAVID STARTED OFF GOOD, BUT LOOK AT THIS IN 2 SAMUEL CHAPTER 11, VERSE 1. IT SAYS, AND IT CAME TO PASS AFTER THE YEAR WAS EXPIRED AT THE TIME WHEN KINGS GO FORTH TO BATTLE. YOU KNOW, IN THESE DAYS, THEY DIDN'T HAVE ALL OF THE ADVANTAGES THAT WE HAVE TODAY. THEY HAD FOOT SOLDIERS, THEY HAD HORSES, THEY HAD WAGONS. IF IT WAS RAINING AND THINGS LIKE THIS, THEY COULD GET uh, BOGGED DOWN IN THE MUD. and, AND THERE WERE JUST CERTAIN TIMES OF THE YEAR THAT YOU COULD FIGHT AND CERTAIN TIMES THAT YOU COULDN'T. AND ANYWAY, THIS WAS THE TIME OF THE YEAR THAT uh, KINGS WENT FORTH TO BATTLE. WELL, DAVID WAS THE KING. HE SHOULD HAVE BEEN OUT BATTLING. AND PRIOR TO THIS TIME, EVERY SINGLE INSTANCE, DAVID WON ALL OF THESE BATTLES. HE REGAINED ALL OF THE TERRITORY THAT ISRAEL HAD NOT BEEN ABLE TO CONQUER PRIOR TO HIS REIGN, AND HE HAD BEEN LEADING THE CHARGE ON ALL OF THESE THINGS. BUT IN Second SAMUEL CHAPTER 11, HE HAD NOW REACHED A PLACE OF, of SO MUCH SUCCESS AND THIS WAS A RELATIVELY SMALL BATTLE JUST FIGHTING AGAINST ONE LITTLE AREA INSTEAD OF AN ENTIRE NATION THAT HE DIDN'T HAVE TO GO LEAD HIS OWN BATTLE. HE JUST SENT JOAB, HIS GENERAL, OUT. SO IT SAYS AT THE TIME THAT WHEN KINGS WENT FORTH TO BATTLE THAT DAVID SENT JOAB AND HIS SERVANTS WITH HIM AND ALL ISRAEL, AND THEY DESTROYED THE CHILDREN OF AMMON AND BESIEGED RABAB, BUT DAVID TARRIED STILL AT JERUSALEM. NOW, HE WAS THE KING. 
HE SHOULD HAVE BEEN OUT DOING WHAT GOD TOLD HIM TO DO, BUT HE HAD REACHED A LEVEL OF SUCCESS THAT NOW HE WASN'T UNDER PRESSURE. IT WASN'T LIFE-THREATENING TO HIM, AND SO HE JUST STAYED IN JERUSALEM. AND IT SAYS IN VERSE 2, AND IT CAME TO PASS IN AN EVENTIDE, THAT MEANS uh, AT SUNSET OR IN THE EVENING, THAT DAVID AROSE FROM OFF OF HIS BED. NOW LET ME ASK YOU THIS. IF YOU ARE JUST GETTING UP OFF OF YOUR BED AT THE TIME THAT THE SUN IS GOING DOWN, THIS MEANS THAT YOU'VE BEEN SLEEPING DURING THE DAY. NOW, DAVID WAS KING. HE SHOULD HAVE BEEN OUT FIGHTING BATTLES, BUT AT THE VERY LEAST, HE SHOULD HAVE BEEN AWAKE DURING THE DAY DEALING WITH THE AFFAIRS OF STATE AND DEALING WITH ALL OF THE THINGS THAT KINGS HAVE TO DEAL WITH. BUT DAVID HAD REACHED A LEVEL OF PROSPERITY THAT HIS BATTLES, he, THEY WERE NOW RELATIVELY SMALL. IT WAS JUST LIKE MOPPING UP OPERATIONS. HE COULD SEND OUT A GENERAL TO TAKE CARE OF THIS. HE DIDN'T HAVE TO DO IT. APPARENTLY, HE HAD THE KINGDOM SO WELL ORGANIZED, AND I WON'T TAKE TIME TO TURN OVER AND READ THIS, BUT I MEAN, HE HAD IT SET UP SO THAT EVERY MONTH HE HAD PEOPLE THAT BROUGHT HIM ALL OF HIS FOOD AND TOOK CARE OF ALL OF HIS NEEDS. HE HAD SHEEP AND HE HAD CATTLE AND HE HAD THINGS THAT WERE SCATTERED OVER THE ENTIRE NATION. AND um, ANYWAY, THERE'S A LOT OF THINGS IN CHRONICLES ESPECIALLY THAT TELLS YOU THE ORDER THAT HE HAD ESTABLISHED. HE HAD, he had A WELL-OILED MACHINE GOING. AND BECAUSE OF IT, HE DIDN'T HAVE TO GO FIGHT HIS OWN BATTLES AND HE DIDN'T HAVE TO SIT THERE AND DEAL WITH THINGS. DAVID WAS SLEEPING DURING THE DAY. HE WAS ASLEEP. HE WAS BORED. AND YOU KNOW, ONE OF THE THINGS THAT I'VE LEARNED IS THAT THE GREATEST TEMPTATIONS IN YOUR LIFE COME WHEN YOU'RE BORED, WHEN YOU'VE LOST YOUR VISION. Well, I, could, I COULD SHOW YOU A LOT OF EXAMPLES OF THIS. Uh, ELIJAH, I'VE GOT THIS BOOK ON ELIJAH. THIS IS EXACTLY WHAT HAPPENED TO ELIJAH IN 1 KINGS CHAPTER 18 AND 19. He, HE DID SO MANY GREAT THINGS, BUT THEN HE PEAKED, HE REACHED HIS GOAL, AND HE TOOK HIS EYES OFF OF THE LORD. SAME THING HAPPENED WITH PETER WHEN PETER WALKED ON THE WATER. DID YOU KNOW HE WALKED ON THE WATER AND HE KEPT HIS EYES ON JESUS, AND AS LONG AS HE WAS LOOKING AT JESUS, HE COULD DEFY ALL OF THE NATURAL LAWS AND WALK ON WATER. BUT WHEN HE GOT REALLY CLOSE TO HIM, AND I KNOW HE WAS CLOSE BECAUSE WHEN HE BEGAN TO SINK, HE CRIED OUT, AND IT SAYS THAT THE LORD REACHED FORTH HIS HAND. IT DIDN'T SAY THAT THE LORD RAN AND GOT HIM AND LIFTED HIM UP. HE JUST LIFTED, REACHED OUT HIS HAND. IN OTHER WORDS, PETER WAS SO CLOSE TO HIM THAT JESUS DIDN'T HAVE TO RUN TO GET HIM. HE WAS JUST WITHIN ARM'S REACH OF JESUS WHEN HE TOOK HIS EYES OFF OF JESUS AND HE BEGAN TO LOOK AT THE WIND AND THE WAVES. WHAT THAT SAYS IS THAT, SEE, AS LONG AS HE WAS OUT THERE ON THIS SEA, AND HE WAS IN THE MIDST OF THIS SEA WALKING ON WATER. MAN, IT WAS A LIFE-THREATENING SITUATION. AND AS LONG AS IT WAS OVERWHELMING HIM, HE KEPT HIS EYES FOCUSED ON JESUS, THE AUTHOR AND THE FINISHER OF HIS FAITH. BUT WHEN HE GOT CLOSE TO REACHING HIS GOAL, WHEN IT LOOKED LIKE HE HAD NEARLY ACCOMPLISHED IT, AND HE WAS WITHIN ARM'S REACH OF JESUS, THEN HE TOOK HIS EYES OFF OF JESUS AND BEGAN TO LOOK AT THE WIND AND THE WAVES. AND WHEN HE SAW THE WIND AND THE WAVES, IT PUT HIM BACK INTO THE NATURAL. IT TOOK HIM OUT OF FAITH, AND IT PUT, put HIM BACK INTO THE NATURAL, AND HE began TO SINK, AND HE CRIED OUT TO JESUS. SO ONE OF THE THINGS I'VE LEARNED THROUGH ELIJAH, THROUGH DAVID, THROUGH PETER, AND ON AND ON YOU COULD GO, IS I'VE LEARNED THAT WHEN YOU HAVE REACHED YOUR GOALS, WHEN YOU DON'T HAVE ANYTHING IN FRONT OF YOU THAT IS BIGGER THAN YOU AND THAT MAKES YOU DEPENDENT UPON GOD AND THAT KEEPS YOU SEEKING GOD BECAUSE YOU JUST CAN'T DO IT ON YOUR OWN. WHEN YOU HAVE REACHED A PLACE TO WHERE YOU CAN COAST, 
You just turn off the engine and you start coasting. It may look like you're still flying, but the truth is at that moment, you've started a descent, whether you realize it or not. You are your most susceptible to the devil when it seems like everything is going good because that's when people take their eyes off of the Lord. Let me just put it to you this way. When is it that you seek the Lord the most? If you would be honest, the vast majority of Christians seek the Lord the most when you're in trouble, when the doctor says you're going to die, when your business is failing, when your marriage is failing, when your kids are doing something weird, uh, when you're in trouble at work. When you're in trouble is when most people turn off the TV and the things that distract them and they, they get focused on the Lord and they will fast and pray. Most people seek the Lord in hardship. It's not a true statement that when you're in trouble, that shows what's really on the inside of you. It's actually more accurate to say that when everything is going good, that is a greater indication of what your true heart is like. Because even a person with a minimum commitment to the Lord will turn to the Lord when, when they're overwhelmed with something. There's no other place to go. They know that they can't handle it. They can't see anybody else. They can't see any way out of this but God. And so they seek the Lord with their whole heart when they're in trouble. Even a person with a minimum commitment will do that. But where most people miss it is when everything's going good and they don't have any struggle. They aren't under pressure. That is a greater reflection of what's really in their heart is prosperity. And if you aren't seeking the Lord as hard in prosperity as you were in tribulation and under pressure, well, then that says a lot about you. More people have been destroyed by prosperity than they've ever been destroyed by hardship. If you go back through church history, and I've studied this to some degree, probably more than most, maybe not as much as some, but more than most, and you go back through church history and every single time there was persecution, the church thrived because you know what? Their life was disrupted and they knew that, man, they needed God's help. And so they would get serious and you get rid of the people who are not truly born again, just the people that are hanging around because it's the popular thing to do. But when persecution comes, all of the, you know, the people who aren't sincere in their commitment to God, man, they flee. And so it purges the church. It purifies them. They get to seeking the Lord. And every single time that there has been persecution against the church, the church thrives. The thing that has destroyed the influence of the church in history more than anything else is prosperity. When things are going good, the church members aren't seeking the Lord as much. They aren't as committed to the Lord. They aren't as outspoken about their faith. So I'm saying all of these things to say that this is what happened to David. David had reached a place to where he was now so successful, he didn't have to go out and fight his battles. He didn't even have to sit there and run the government. He had delegated things to other people. And David was sleeping during the day and getting up at night. And that's what led him into this position. Again, I'm saying these things. I, the first three days of this week, I've been talking about how you can fix your heart, prepare your heart, set your heart, and your heart can become so focused on God that you cannot violate your heart. But it's something that has to be maintained. And when you quit preparing your heart, I don't know what period of time, but some period of time, maybe six months, a year or whatever, if you quit seeking the Lord, 
then your heart will once again become susceptible to the sin, to the temptation to turning away from the Lord. And that's what happened to David. David could not have committed adultery with Bathsheba in the beginning when he was seeking God and man, he was focused on God. He was writing these Psalms and doing these things. But when he reached a level of success and prosperity, he quit seeking the Lord. He wasn't as desperate as he had been in the past. And because of it, he got up, saw a woman bathing herself and he just lusted after her, sent, took her in, committed adultery with her. And then when she turned out being pregnant, he went and killed her husband uh, and so that he could take her as his wife and hopefully hide his sin. But of course, it didn't hide his sin. The prophet came to him in chapter 12. This was Nathan the prophet. And this prophet came to him and gave him a parable. And this parable was about a rich man who had all of these cattle, all of these sheep. He had everything that he could ever need. And next door to him was a man who only had one little ewe lamb and it had been orphaned. He raised it as his own. He raised it in his bosom. The parable said that he was like a child unto him. And yet when this rich man had somebody come to see him, instead of the rich man killing one of his own sheep to feed this guest, he went over and took this little ewe lamb out of this man's bosom and he killed it to feed his guest. When David heard this, he became incensed. And he said, man, the man that has done this thing will surely die and he will restore this man fourfold out of his own flocks for what he took from him. And he was just incensed. And look at this in chapter 12 and verse 7. It says, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. This parable is about you. Man, I would have loved to have seen this. Because David, it says he became incensed and he put a death sentence on the man in this parable that he would die and he'd have to restore what he'd taken from this man fourfold. And then Nathan, just in the middle of it, I mean, David was probably mad, yelling, and right in the middle, he sticks his finger in his face and he says, you are the man. And he went from anger and all of this, I'm sure, absolute terror. And it didn't take long for him to realize that this parable was all about him. And you know, this is just andeology. I can't say this 100%, but I believe that the reason Nathan came and gave this parable to David instead of just revealing his sin to him and saying, you committed adultery with Bathsheba and you used the army to kill Uriah so that you could cover your sin. Instead of just blurting it out and confronting him with his sin, I think the reason he gave the parable is because the scripture says that God will have mercy, judgment without mercy on those that have shown no mercy. But to those who show mercy, they'll reap what they've sown. I believe that the Lord basically let David prescribe his own punishment. He didn't realize that's what he was doing. But in this parable, he he gave no mercy, no mercy whatsoever towards this rich man who had taken this lamb out of this man's bosom and killed it to feed his guest. And there was no mercy. There was nothing but judgment. When David did that, he prescribed his own judgment. He basically spoke this out of his mouth. God was letting him 
uh, you know, prescribe his own punishment for what he had done. If he had been merciful and have shown mercy, I believe that David's judgment would have been less. But because he had been so harsh in his judgment, Nathan told him that, you know, the same thing's going to happen to you. The child that is born to this marriage is going to die. And then he went on and talked about how there would be judgment come unto him out of his own house, which came to pass. He had one son, Amnon, commit adultery with one of his sisters. And when his brother Absalom heard about that, Absalom killed Amnon. And then Absalom had to flee for three years and live in a foreign country. Finally, he came back, but there was still a uh, split between David and Absalom. And for two years, David didn't even speak to him. Finally, Absalom came and he spoke to him, but still there wasn't a restoration of the relationship. David got, I mean, Absalom got mad and tried a civil war and tried to kill his father. He took his father's wives and put a tent up on, on one of the buildings in the sight of all of the people in Jerusalem. And he went in and committed adultery with his father's wives. Man, this was terrible. All of this came because of David's sin. Now, God forgave him. And you can read this here in the 12th chapter that when David, the thing that made David a man after God's own heart wasn't the fact that he never sinned. David sinned big time. In some ways, David sinned more than Saul did. David did some terrible things, but one of the things that made him a man after God's own heart is that when he was confronted with his sin, he humbled himself, he repented, and he accepted responsibility 100% for what he did. He could have said, well, this woman shouldn't have been out there bathing out in the open. It was her fault. She's the one that tempted me. See, there's people that do this all the time today. There's people that are sitting there saying, the reason I'm such a jerk, the reason I'm so messed up is because I was abused when I was a kid. They refuse to accept responsibility for what they've done. But when David was confronted, he humbled himself. And you can read about it in Psalms chapter 51. He wrote that psalm in response to his sin with Bathsheba. And he said there, against you and you only have I sinned and done this great wickedness in your sight. He didn't blame anybody else. There's no mention of Bathsheba in Psalms chapter 51. He didn't blame anybody else. He didn't say, well, it was because, you know, the pressures of being a king came upon me and I just couldn't help myself. No, he didn't blame anybody else. He didn't point to circumstances. He accepted responsibility. That is true repentance. And that was a true man after God's own heart. But the reason I bring all this up is to say that you set your heart, you fix your heart, you prepare your heart, but it has to be something that you continue to do. Like you keep the motor on the plane. You keep those jet engines going. The moment you turn them off, you start sinking. The moment you take your attention off of Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, and you look at the wind and the waves and you get to considering all this other stuff, you start sinking. It, it's something that is powerful if you prepare your heart and if you are in the constant uh, process of doing that, it is such a powerful defensive thing that will prevent you from going into sin, but you can't just do it one time and it lasts forever. It has to be a continual process and we see that through David's life. So remember that I'm not only offering these CDs and DVDs on how to prepare your heart, but we've got two books here, one on lessons from Elijah and one on lessons from David. We're making a package deal. If you'll listen to our announcer, 
They'll give you all the information and please call or write today. Andrew's teaching, How to Prepare Your Heart, is available as a CD or DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. Each of these valuable resources are available for a gift of any amount when you contact us. You can get this teaching in the How to Prepare Your Heart package, which includes your choice of either the CD or DVD album from the How to Prepare Your Heart series, as well as two books, Lessons from Elijah and Lessons from David. This package has a catalog value of $50, but today you can receive these valuable resources for just $35. Go to awmi.net to see all the ways you can get these teachings. The individual topic highlighted on today's broadcast is available as an audio CD for a gift of any amount when you write or call. And we encourage everyone to give because there's a blessing in giving. But if you're simply unable to afford it, Andrew and his partners will provide today's teaching free of charge. This is the last day we'll be offering this teaching, so be sure to respond today. Many of you know that we have built a 1,022 space parking garage to accommodate all of our people that come to our facilities in Woodland Park. And it was at a $23 million cost. And we are trying to get that paid off as quickly as we can. Well, I felt like the Lord spoke to me about encouraging 23,000 people to give a $1,000 offering, either a one-time gift or pledged out over a period of 10 months, $100 per month. If you would like to be a part of that, I encourage you to call or write, go to our website and join our 1K Club. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or you can call our helpline 24 hours a day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, at 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. I want to let you know that we have now started a Karis Daily Live Bible Study. We've been doing a Bible study every Tuesday night live for about two years, but now we have five days a week. We've varied the times so that we can accommodate anybody's schedule, and it's going to really be good. We're going to use our instructors from the school, and it'll be a blessing. So remember, we now have a Karis Daily Live Bible Study five days a week. The question before us for this election is what kind of country is this going to be? When Ben Franklin was met by Mrs. Powell coming out of the Constitutional Convention, she said, well, Mr. Franklin, what have you given us, a monarchy or a republic? And he said, a republic if you can keep it. And we are at that moment, I believe, where the Founding Fathers are looking down from heaven wondering, are we going to keep it? Go to truthandliberty.net for more information on how you can vote your values this November. I tell you, I'm excited. God is going to do something special during these meetings. I felt that he was just speaking truth. The perspective is so 
different, it's so new, and the, the understanding runs so deep. You have to get to where you believe in the power of words every moment of every day. When you start speaking to your problem and commanding it to leave, that's when you start seeing great things happen. I know that he gets before the Lord and there's always a freshness. There's a today in time word. Andrew's teaching and the love that he has for God's word and truth, it is the gospel truth. Hello, this is Andrew Womack, and I'd like to encourage you to check out our Gospel Truth TV. You are going to be blessed, so check it out. It's 24-7, gospeltruth.tv.